All right. Well, I, I thank you guys uh, for coming. Uh, you don't have to run. Take your time. No, you're fine. <laughs> well, my name is uh, Derek Sanborn, and uh, I serve as a children's pastor down in Cincinnati, Ohio. So thank you guys very much for coming. Whether you signed up for this class or this was the only class that was available, I, uh, I truly appreciate you guys all, all coming here and uh I, I just I hope to be able to answer questions at the end, and I want to get to as many as I possibly can. Um, so please feel free to ask questions about kids' ministry or about what I'm talking about at the end, and we will try to get to as many of those as we can. And also afterwards, uh, I'll be available to answer more questions if you guys want to talk about anything else, but please feel free to uh, just talk. I don't want to just sit up here and chit-chat all the time. It's actually, I, I sat here and I saw this book, this blue book right here, and I'm like, oh man, this thing just brought back nightmares of sitting in you know college classes and knowing what it's like to just be talked to the whole time. So please fire questions back at me, and I'll try to get to them as much as I can, but I have served in, uh, in kids' ministry at the same church in Cincinnati for the last 15 years, and so um, I want to be able to weave in some of our story as a church as it comes to the question of multicultural children's ministry and uh, what, it, what it's like, because we as a church had to start someplace, and we started at the very beginning, basically 15 years ago when I came on staff, our church was 98% white. Um, and with orchestra music and an orchestra pit in the middle of the stage. And I remember them hiring me. That face was perfect. She's like, oh, yeah. And, and, and to make this even more strange is that our church was really in the middle of the city of Cincinnati. Um, we could pick a rock up and throw it across the street and we would hit the University of Cincinnati. We were right smack dab in the middle of the city. And that was where our church was. And our community around us had changed, but the church hadn't changed for whatever reasons. And so our pastor's heart was to begin to change, to begin to have a church that looked like the city that was now around us and whether all the church liked that or not, that was what his heart was. And so when I came on staff, they, they saw me as a 21-year-old kid, really. I was a kid and walked in and they said, what in the world are we doing? He doesn't wear a tie. And no, I don't. He doesn't even tuck his shirt in. No, I don't. You know, He doesn't have normal colored hair. At the time, I didn't. And, they're just, and so it shocked this congregation, but the church hired me because of my heart for what Chris, as our lead pastor, was really wanting to lead us into. Um, my a little background on me, my wife is Hispanic, and in college I had my best friend tell me, you will not succeed in ministry because your wife is not white. Now, this is my best friend. And I said, wow, if this is what the AG is about, I want nothing to do with it. And so in the back of my mind, these are questions that I had going into interview after interview after interview. And I interviewed all over the U.S. and it was a question I asked, is this marriage going to be okay in this church? Some said, yeah, and some said, no, which my reply was, why did you even bring me here? Why did you fly me out here? Why are you wasting my time? Because for me, it was a waste of time. And so when I remember talking to this church that we came in on as I was 21, I sat down and I'm like, is this going to be a problem? And he's like, no, this is why you're here. Let me, let me share my heart. Little did we know that I didn't realize this, but at the time I was interviewing, there was a tragedy in the city, in Cincinnati, where uh, a police officer shot an unarmed black man in 2001, early 2001, and it sparked a citywide riot. And so our church at the time was kind of right in the middle of, of these riots and we begin to feel the tensions and more of the reason of wow God you're really doing something at a perfect time so how can we do this this looks impossible well what looks impossible to humans is not impossible for God and that's what we really began to see well let me fast forward to today um, today we are about 45% Caucasian 35% African American and the rest is made up of internationals and so I look back and I'm like whoa what happened you know it's like I just kind of closed my eyes and, and this happened but it took a lot of, of effort it was a very strategic plan on the part of our leadership 
to, to begin to do this, uh, to transform our church to look like the demographics of our city. The, really, the demographics of Cincinnati are like 40-40-20. So 40% Caucasian, 40% African-American, 20% international. And I know that might differ for all the communities that, that you guys are in. Um, but whatever that is, we kind of want to begin to look at how can you as a local church begin to have a children's ministry that reflects your, your own communities. And so we, uh, we began to do something what we like to call now is church like heaven. Um, it's no mistake that God challenged our leadership to go on this journey as we look at today's world. It is not a mistake that God said in 2001 we're going we're gonna to begin to transform a 98% white church to be a church that looks like heaven, um, and especially for, for today. And so today I, I really try, I'm going to try to plan on going over some of the questions and some of the things that we've learned on our journey as we've done this and hopefully be able again to cover the questions that you guys have. And I'm going to do my best to answer them. Our goal here is just to establish just some healthy relationships against other people that are in this room. Or if you want to contact me, please feel free to contact me throughout your weeks and months and the year. Just to drop questions and do that for all the speakers. That's why, that's why we're here. So let's dive in. Um, as I said before, People's Church began on this far-fetched idea. And they first started with the vision statement. And I want to read that to you. And it's this, a racially reconciling, generationally rich, life-giving church, thriving in the heart of the city. And we had that, but we had no idea what to do with that. And all we had to do was to go on Revelation 7-9. And I want to read that to you. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. All people worshiping together, all coming together in unity, putting aside personal likes and ideas to be the body of Christ. And so that was our idea of this, is if Revelation 7-9 says we're all going to come together and worship together, why can't we do that now? But it does mean having to put aside our likes and our dislikes and I'm going to like this and they're going to like this, but putting it aside for the sake of unity. Scripture also tells us that when there's unity, they will come to know Jesus. And what is the most disunified groups in America? Race. Church. We're disunified. And I kind of like to look at it as if the church can't unify how in the world is the world ever going to unify? I mean, you turn on the news, there's this and that, and the church can't do it. Why do we expect the world to, to get this right? And so we started with the most visible place in the church that you could possibly think to start with, and that was leadership. So it brings us to diversity and leadership. This is where we started. The key to ministering, especially in a multicultural kids context, is making sure um, that your leadership is diverse. You want to make sure that someone is visible. In the classrooms, they're visible on stage. They're visible at the door. They're visible at your nursery check-in. Someone is visible that looks like the one person that may be coming by themselves that they're there at the church. We learned early on that no matter how much we said, we want to be a church that looks like heaven. We want to be a church that looks like heaven. If there was nobody on stage that looked like that person, then we were just saying it and not putting our money where it was really worth it. And so we said, okay, we want to do this. We want families to walk in. We want our African American family to be able to walk into church to see someone on the main stage, whether that's leading worship or, or leading prayer or that's, you know, whatever that role looks like, we want to have that family walk into the church and say, okay, they value me enough to put me in, on stage. Well, that's where we started. We began to put everybody as vocally as we could on stage. We hired our, our first few African-American pastors and, and pastors of, of color. We began to hire them to say, we need them on stage. And there I am down in the kids' ministry saying, but I need people. I need them too. What about me? What about me? What about me? Well, I had to take the back seat on this because, again, we're just starting out. We're trying to go from 98% to where we are today. And I said, okay, fine, I will, I'll slow down a little bit to make sure this area is, is covered first. And so um, your first thought, maybe, you know, you go into a place and put yourself in their shoes. When you walk into a, a place where you may be the only woman in the entire room, as a woman, you're looking on stage and not seeing any other women, you'd be like, dude, do they care about women here? 
Um, it'd be the same as if you were an African American walking into a place and you're looking on stage and they would say the same thing. Do they not care about African Americans here? Or you're a Hispanic walking into a room full of everybody that doesn't look like you, you're the only one. Do they not, they say they want me here, but do they, do they care about me? Now I'll bring that down to a kid. When you come into your kids' ministries, and I don't know what the breakups of your kids' ministries look like, but if there's a child and you're the child's leader and you're looking at a child that looks different than you, what is that kid thinking? What is, what, is that kid, what is that kid saying in that moment? When he walks into that room, does he see someone that looks like him or does she see someone that looks like her or is she standing alone in there by herself? Because that's a fear that, that they really do have. It's a genuine fear. They want to feel like, oh, I see that person on stage. So if I'm on stage. They view me as I'm like next thing to Jesus. I mean, that's just it. That's how they, they say, well, Pastor Derek, he must be just like Jesus. No, I'm not. I'm just on the stage. That's what they see as ministry. And so when a kid sees you in that leadership position and they don't see anyone that looks like them, it's, it's very difficult for them. But the hard part for us when we started was finding people that were qualified to do this because there was only 2% of the people of my church to be able to pick from. And uh, so the children's ministry strategically said, we're going to be second. We're going to be third. We're going to make sure that our adults are taken care of. We're going to make sure that our worship team is taken care of. Because kids are going to be forgiving. You always The great thing about working with kids is kids will be kids. And kids will play with kids. And with kids, there's not a language barrier for the most part. They will just play. And there's not a huge cultural barrier with kids. Because kids are just going to play no matter what. And so we, we found that we can design stuff to help everybody without having the main all the leadership in place. And I would say even now, 15 years later, we are still just now getting all of our leadership in place. But it, but it needs to be strategic. You have to go in it with a mind saying, I have to make sure that I have leaders that look like my kids. If my group is all this and I have one, find that one to get them out in there. And always make sure that you guys, if you're, if you're leading kids' ministries, working in kids' ministries, that your vision lines up with the pastor's vision. Because if that's the case, it's going to be a lot easier for you to pull something off like this. Um, it was easy for us, not easy, but it was easier because my lead pastor and I, we had the same vision as it went to this, and our youth pastor had the same vision. And so when I was in need of something, I could go to one of them and say, hey, I need to steal your worker because I'm lacking in this area. And they always had, okay, please take them. Please, please go here. So we made our, our leadership changes uh, slowly. We didn't just throw this on to our church all at once. You can imagine what that would be. Hey, this is what we're going to do. Tomorrow it's all going to be different. Hey, welcome. And that would have freaked out people. And even doing this slowly, people didn't stick with us. Not everybody, not everybody was able to, uh, to stick through with it. Another step that we, uh, we found in kids' ministry is music. Um, music is a hard one for kids because there's going to be a group of kids that are going to like pop music. Well, there's going to be a group of kids that like rap music. Or there's going to be a group of kids that like rock or country, but this group doesn't and this one does. So what do you do with it? Um, you have to find ways and find music that fits all the genres in there. And so in my context, we use, I just use video. I will find a song I like. I actually recreate the song and actually put it on video with all the background motions, things like that. And then we'll find people to come in and teach us dance. One song might be straight up a rock song. And you'd be like, oh, cool. Half, part of my room's liking it. The other song we might do in Spanish. And right there, the next song. And so you have all the, the non-Spanish-speaking non, non children being like, oh, I don't know this song, but cool, I'm hanging having fun anyways. I'm, I'm going to attempt to sing in Spanish. And they're attempting to do it. Where our Spanish kids, and it's a small handful, they're loving it because they're like, oh, they're doing a song and I don't have to try to learn English. Because what we found, too, is that we were getting in first-generation kids from immigrant families, and they've got a whole... They, they're not learning English that well, and, and they're trying all these different different pieces, and music was a way that we could easily help get them in. And so finding different, different musics. It was hard at the beginning to find music that would incorporate hip-hop and rap and pop, and now it's getting a little easier. So if you guys want some ideas of where to get some, some music, um, there's a site called Seeds. Uh, seeds.churchonthemove.com. It's a church down in Tulsa. You'd be like, Tulsa? where? But they're incorporating... Hip-hop, rap, rock, techno, pop. They've been incorporating all these dance, everything inside of their music, and it's free. It's fantastic. S-E-E-D-S dot churchonthemove.com. Is that the Seeds family workshop? 
It is not. It's, uh, the, their ministry is actually called Kids on the Move. So way back when, there was a pastor by the name of Willie George. Uh, he started kid. Oh, there you go. See, I say that name. Now you got it. So Kids on the Move. Their stuff now is bridging this gap between, if you want to say, white America and black America and being able to bridge this music together. Their stuff is phenomenal. Um, another one that we use is Amber Sky Records. If you're familiar with uh, 252 or 252 Basics, however you want to call it, there's a music or part of that called Amber Sky. And again, they're bridging in all of these different types of music and you're like, but I can't dance. That's okay. They got videos that will actually do the dances for you. I can't dance, and the kids don't want to see me dance, so I let the video do the dancing, and, and it works out. But the other thing when it comes to your music and media is uh, your images, your print, your images of kids, your movies, your clips that you would use need to be diverse. Make sure that your pictures, your movies, everything that you're showing that is visually is going to be representative of the kids you are trying to reach. A kid is not going to care if, if you're all in the same room and the majority of your children are, say, say white, and you have a Hispanic child up there on your image, they're not going to care. But if that one walks in, they'll be like, oh, look, they look like me. It's all about just making sure that there's somebody on stage that looks like, like them. The hard thing goes for movies. Now, when you get into a movie clip and it's a cartoon movie, most cartoons, I mean, you watch them, they're not diverse. And that's a whole new world that we've got to figure out what to do with that. And, and I have some comic book friends that just actually wrote something, and she posted a, a piece from a, a comic book artist that only draws comic book characters, African-American comic book characters. And the whole thing went, well, why do you do that? And she's like, because if I don't, who will? So in her world, growing up as an African-American she was right drawing comics, but she was only drawing white people in comics or making light-skinned comics. And her dad said, why? Why are you only drawing? Because no one wants to see it. No one wants to buy a black person, black kid comic book. Well, why do you say that? He goes, because there's nothing there. Look, look around. Media shows that this is not important. He's like, but if you don't draw it, who will? And so in the church world, we've kind of taken that and said, well, if we don't show it, who will? And so always making sure that your video images, your clips are diverse. Look through the lens of the child that's sitting in the room that does not look like the rest of the room. Because he may not never tell you how he verbally feels, but you're gonna, it's going to go a long way. Something else that we need to begin to do is uh, be intentional. When we started, we would uh, look through the church and say to ourselves, we have this ministry to start, but we only have one white leader or we only have one, one black leader. What should we do? We realize that our teams need to be diverse before we even start them. And so you may have a great idea to, oh, we're going to redo our entire check-in area and we're going to revamp all this. Well, great, but who's going to run it? And the lens that we look through now is if, there's not a, if our team is not mixed, it's not diverse, we won't even start it. I won't start that team. I'll let that just keep going and going until we can find the exact people. Because if we start it not diverse, it's never going to be diverse. If you start it diverse, you're going to, A, you're already building friendships there. Because when you work in kids' ministry, you're building friendships instantly. And so it's a great way for this person over here to meet this person over here. They may have nothing in common, but when they come together and they're working, they got something in common. Because they're relying on each other. You're building friendships. So we won't start teams now at our kids' ministry unless the team is, is diverse. As the church continued its transition, uh, the kids' ministry shifted the fastest. Um, it shifted faster than the adults did. We, I could not keep up with the amount of, of kids coming in. As, as families would come in, they would hear what's happening. They were coming in, but we couldn't get the leaders up to par, so we apologized. I was the first to say, you know what, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we don't have leaders that look like everybody. We're working on that. Please be patient with us as we continue to build our leadership team. Um, even... I'm trying to think, should I share this? I'll share it. Even as of three weeks ago, I had two individuals that have worked with me for 15 years. They've been part of my leadership team. I've been seeing that they've needed to take a break, but I've also looked at, they're my main leaders. Um, they run two giant areas. And, and as I looked at all my main leaders, I looked out and said, okay, I'm a white male. She's a white young female. She's a white older lady. She's a white older lady. Oh, she's Hispanic. Great. There's a problem here. We're all white, except Angie. 
And so I had to go and actually ask them, would you please step down from leadership and here's why. I need you to take a break because I saw their teams were becoming all that looked just like them. And so we had to make intentional decisions. Sometimes these intentional decisions for your staffing, it's hard. It is really hard to see a qualified person and say, man, I want that person so badly. Can I just grab them? But yet when I look at the overall numbers, I'm like, oh, I already have too many. I have too many. Okay, I have to find someone else. And so we did wait. But what we found is that when we waited, God brought the right person. And uh, he just brought in someone that just totally blew me away. was able to do way more than, than what, what I thought. Um, part of the problem within our kids' ministry when our church continued to go was all of our main key leaders were getting put in, in bigger areas. And, and that was okay. And I'm not just comfortable putting anyone that's not qualified to be in with kids just for the sake of putting in somebody of, of color in the room. And so I'm not asking you to do that. Um, make sure the person is qualified. Make sure they're spiritually they're qualified to lead children. Don't just put somebody in there just for number's sake because you want that other child to feel okay. If you don't have that person, just apologize to those families. Just be open and honest with them and it's going to go, go a long way. The last thing I wanted in the room was just a warm body. I wanted to make sure that they all had a heart to reach all kids. And we also found that as our church continued to transition, we moved from a churched group of kids to an unchurched group of kids, which was fantastic. I, I loved it because what it finally began to show us was, wow, this, this coming together in unity is showing others Jesus. And it began to bring in the unchurched families for example, um, the young man that was shot and killed in our city, many years later, we had a, a young black man and his family show up at our church. It was his brother. Sorry. He came in, he got saved. And then brought his nephew, who never met his dad. His nephew got saved. And so you see that and you're like, would this have ever happened? Would he have ever felt safe to walk in this door if we would have never taken these chances to do this? And now his family's there. He got married. We counseled him. You need to marry your baby's mama, okay? you got to do it. Okay, but no one in my family has ever been married. Why do I got to marry her? Well, let's look at what Scripture says. So he marries her. For the first time in this family's generation, there's a marriage where a dad is walking alongside with his kids and he's raising his his nephew now had never knew his dad and so you have all these things happening and so that's what we became to be we began to be this place of people both black and white who have no relationship with Christ their kids are coming in having no idea what it means to worship that uh, talk about tough most of my rooms are sitting there looking at me like what are we going to do I got to change something I got to figure this out they have no idea what it means to be in a church context but man when Jesus got a hold of them they really it transformed everyone. They needed discipleship, and uh, that's where things really began to change for us. And so we had to figure something out. We had this giant increase um, with our kids coming to what we would call our kids' church service. Um, But we had a decrease in our kids wanting to go to Sunday school. Because I said, we went from church kids that families went to Sunday school, then they went to kids' church to groups of kids coming in that have no concept of Sunday school and the first word they hear is school and I do not want to go to school again. And so we had to figure out how do we continue to grow both of our services and our kids' ministry without putting all of the kids in the second hour kids' church service. And we, I would beg them, please go to Sunday school. Please go to Sunday school. Because I, I couldn't host that many kids in the room doing the, the second hour kids church service. Please go, please go, please go. And then I realized, wait, these families have no idea what I'm talking about. Sunday school means nothing to them. They're excited that they got their kids up and dressed to go to church in the morning, let alone trying to get them to go to Sunday school again. And so one of our first big intentional changes in our kids ministry is I put Sunday school on hold. I'm like, I had to go to all my teachers again. Guys, we have to change. Our church is changing. Our families are really pushing us to this change because of the demographics of the church is changing. Our church culture is changing. We have to reach these kids, and they're not showing up to your classes. How do we fix that? So after having, again, tough conversations, they said, okay, let's put this on pause. And it was a long pause. We're talking a couple years of pause that we we put Sunday school on hold 
to open up two kids' church services. One the first hour, one the second hour, identical. So that meant no matter what hour your kids came into, you were going to get kids' church. And then we slowly then introduced, now no matter what hour your kid's going to come to kids' church, they're going to have a part of small group and a side of that. And so what we finally have moved to now is, okay, now you have two kids' church services. We have... Um, a small group hour happening first hour, we have a small group happening second hour, and we have the two identical. So that way, no matter what hour your kids come, whether they stay one hour or two hours, they're going to get the main big lesson. They're going to get everything that I feel like I need to get into the kid's life and to make things really super simple for our families. Because what we ended up seeing was that we had all these kids coming in, but we were teaching them four different things, three different things throughout the week. So they would come on Sunday morning and they would go to Sunday school and they would learn about Moses. They'd come into kids' church, they would learn about Daniel. They'd show back up on a Wednesday night and they'd learn about somebody completely different. You ask the kids, what'd you learn about? And they have no idea. Like, I don't know. I came to church today. Why? Because I was confusing their messages. And so what we ended up doing was you can come into church Sunday or Wednesday for our services. And at the time we had a Saturday as well. You come into any of those four services, you would hear the same teaching all week long. So when our kids would come in Sunday first hour, they would hear me say the same thing that I would say Sunday second hour. They would hear me say the same thing on a Wednesday evening. They're going to get the same teaching in their small groups. One common lesson, one scripture verse they're going to memorize. One big answer is like what we want to call it. The one big answer, you're going to learn that thing one time. So when you start going home, the parents are like, wow, my kid really is understanding what they're talking about. I'm like, yeah, we're only teaching them one thing now. This is great, right? And we also have tools for them when they leave that the kids actually have devotionals to where they have a devotional that will take them through Monday, Tuesday. They can come back to church on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They're hearing the same thing taught all week long. They come back Sunday, they hear something different. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Again, hearing all the, uh, the same thing. So currently our kids' church is structured where we have first hour kids' church, second hour kids' church, our JBQ kids, so Junior Bible Quiz, which we use as one of our discipleship programs. Um, it meets during the first hour. And then those kids, if they stay again a second hour, then they come into the kids' church. And then our second hour repeat kids, they go into a small group classes, which are then broken down by their age group. And so that's how they would, they would go do that. We noticed, too, that as our demographics changed, our, our Wednesday nights declined. Um, because, again, this doesn't mean anything to them. It declined at first. Why do I need to come out again on a Wednesday night? And uh, it was this one hurt me. The most, and it hurt my leaders, I would say, the most, because it was a program that I loved. I loved Rangers. Rangers kept me in in church as a kid, growing up in a single home before my parents divorced. My dad was a Ranger leader, and then my mom and dad divorced, and Rangers helped me through a lot of stuff. And as we watched our, our church change, I watched less and less kids coming into church, and I couldn't quite figure out why. I'm like, why? This is great. Look at these programs. We have great, talented men over here teaching. We have great, talented women over here teaching. And, and so what I ended up doing was I went to the group and the population of families that never wanted to show up. It, they wouldn't show up because, again, they, they, they're Christians now. They're walking this out. But I asked them, why don't you come? Be careful asking that question because you will, you will get the answer whether you want to hear it or not. And so I, I, I put my big boy pants on and I went, I'm like, hey, I had a group of 20 people. And I said, why... Why don't you come on Wednesday nights? Please tell me. Well, we, what, you're, what you're teaching us doesn't... It, it, we have no idea. We can't be consistent. We, we, can't, we can't always make it all the time. You know? We can't come because the bus doesn't drop us off. You know, it only comes by at certain times. and So we can't be here or we don't like this and we don't like this because again, they didn't mean anything to these families and they didn't have a concept and some of these girls didn't have dads and, and so these boys don't have dads and so coming in, it was just all this foreign concept to them. And so I said, what do you want? Tell me, what do you want? Well, working with kids in, in city schools, we were learning that they were losing the arts. They were losing... Uh, losing things like that. They were needing to learn. Some of our, our internationals wanted uh, tutoring and help because they couldn't teach their kids because they didn't know English that well. And so they were needing the help with English for their kids. And so what we had to do was listen. We listened and said, okay, we're, I'm hearing this part. I'm hearing this. I'm hearing this. And then you had the population say, well, we still want the outdoors. We want that part of it. And so I'm like, okay. And then I had a mom say, well, 
why can't a, a man teach my daughter? I want her to know what a godly man looks like. She doesn't have a dad. She needs to know what a Christ-like man is like. Good point. So we had to have those hard questions again with leaders. I'm like, I love you guys. Please know I love you. I love you. I love you. We have to change. We have to change to effectively reach this this demographic of kids. And so we did. We made the shift. We we made the shift because our Wednesday nights were were dropping. Our Sundays were, were coming up. And at one point we were down to like 20 kids on a Wednesday night. And I'm like, I've got 20 kids on a Wednesday night and we've got... 150 showing up on a Sunday morning. Whoa, something's something's not right. And uh, I said, fine. If I make these changes, moms and dads and grown-ups, we call them grown-ups. If I make these changes, grown-ups, will you show up? Yeah, we'll show up. We made the change from, from one week to the next by shifting our programming to offer a lot of different options for our kids from everywhere from sports to technology to tutoring to the outdoors and we opened it up for every child to be able to take everything. If a girl wants to go and learn how to camp, she was going to go learn how to camp. You know, if a boy wanted to learn how to sew, he's going to learn how to sew. And uh, we went from 20 to 80 in a week. Shocked me. I had no idea what to do with them. 80 kids show up and our leaders are like, oh, Derek, what are we supposed to do? Have fun. You know, I'm like, see ya! You know, I took off running, but... But it really did. It worked. So currently what we do now is, is uh, we actually will go to grown-ups like you guys and say, hey, Holly, what are you good at? So just, what are you good at? What do you like to do? You like to sew. Would you like to teach kids how to sew? And so we found that once we found out, hey, what do you like to do? Oh, I like to go fishing. Would you teach a kid how to fish? You don't have me to teach out of a book? No, you teach them how to fish. I'll take care. We'll take care of the, the teaching class time. You just teach the kid how to fish. I can do that. And so what we saw was that our volunteer pool got bigger, and, and they weren't fearful to walk in and say, here's your book, and you drop down this manual in front of them, and now teach. See you guys. Have fun with that. And they weren't roped into having to do this all the time. And so it opened up the diversity of our building. And so we've had everything from pottery to archery to cooking to, you know, teaching kids how to speak Amharic, which is a native language in Ethiopia. And so that's what the kids will end up doing. And so that's how we found our teachers to staff our, our midweek programs. Yes. This is what you're doing in your midweek program at this time. So currently, yeah. So currently our midweek program will look like this throughout the year. Uh, in the winter months, so January, February, March, April-ish or so, we do our, our musical. We do a spring musical. And so we've tried to find ways to, how do we do a musical? Because everybody wants to see their kids do and perform in something. So let's find the time that nobody wants to come to church. Winter. No one wants to drive to church in the cold and the dark. They definitely don't want to be driving downtown in the dark. And so let's put it then. And we just, they just show up. 60, 70, 80 kids will show up because their parents want them involved in a musical. And so then after the musical's done, then we open up an all-church Pinewood Derby race. So we take a month and a half... All the men, they get together, the women, every kid gets their block of car. They're all helping them design their cars. And then we have a big all-church Pinewood Derby race for all of our kids, moms, dads. Whoever wants to race, we do it. We just have a big race for everybody. And it's great because my daughter won last year. I was like, yeah! You know, I was like, that's right. Um, because I don't have a boy. I wanted my girls to race cars too. And so they get the race cars and they're racing against the boys. And it's, just, it's a lot of fun. We go from that to then we do what we call blast. And blast is then where we break the kids up into these different small groups. And we'll usually have four or five, six different small groups that we do, depending on how many kids we think we're going to have come. Most of the time we do four. And so we'll, we'll break them in between kindergartens and first grade boys, kindergarten, second grade boys, kindergarten, second grade girls. You know, third through fifth grade boys, third through fifth grade girls. And we rotate them through a three-month process. So for three, four weeks whatever that, that quarter looks like. For four weeks, a, a kindergarten through second grade boy is going to learn to sew. Rotate. They might not want to do it, but they're going to learn it. And then they rotate into, okay, next week, this, this quarter, this section, you're going to learn Spanish. And okay, then they're done with that. And then they keep rotating through so everybody gets to learn something. Um, they're all going to get to do it. They all, every quarter, like, can we do archery? I'm like, I do not want to be shooting bow and arrows outside. And they're like, fine, we'll do bow and arrows, whatever. You want to do it, we're going to do it. And so we find people to do that. And then when we get into uh, the school times, 
We know that our church school starts back up, our midweek starts to drop down. So like, hey, what can we put in here to get them into the habit of, of school time? We do a discipleship program. A lot of times we use Faith Case because I don't need as many volunteers to run Faith Case. And we just do the, the large group, more Faith Case discipleship piece. Christmas comes back around. It's all focused on Christmas projects, doing things for others, um, pieces like that. And so that's kind of how we've structured it each, each year. Bible lessons and things like this in with your, your, your scripture time in with each of these things for every session uh, or is just certain sessions devoted to them? Nope, so when the kids would come in on a, that's a great question, so when the kids would come in on a Wednesday night when we have our, our big big summer blast or whatever you want to call it, that's happening they come in, they start out with me um, I've, I've always found that when you ask a leader to teach a Bible lesson, that freaks them out. Like, I can't teach a kid. You teach the kid. And so I'm like, if that's a fear, and that's, if that's a fear that, that my Ethiopian families have, because they don't feel like they can speak English that well, but they can cook, then you just take care of the part that you're good at. Let me and the rest of my team handle handle the mini kids church service because I only have some kids that only show up on Wednesday night and that's the only time they come to church because that's a time that their friends are hey we're doing we're just doing archery at my church you want to come and do archery with me now they're coming in to have fun but yet they're getting the entire lesson again basically it's a mini version of what I just did Sunday so I'm continuing that lesson again part two and so it's just helping to re- reinforce what we've talked Wednesday night's an hour and a half, so I let the kids hang out for about 15 minutes or so because they want to hang out too. Just like you guys want to meet your friends, they want to see their friends at church. So I give them a time to hang out. I'll do like a 20-minute service where we have worship. I have time. I can pray with all these kids. Our leaders can pray with them. Um, We can alter time, all of that lesson. And then after that, then we send them off into their groups. So our leaders may only have their kids for about an hour instead of trying to come up with something for an hour and a half. Those of you that have taught kids are like, I only have to teach for an hour. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, that's great. And we also let those leaders know that, hey, once this quarter is done, once these three months are finished, I don't need you for a year. I'm not going to ask you again. I don't want you again. If you want to sign up again, that's your choice. But see you guys next year. And we don't. We will purposely not go and ask them to come back for a year because that was the commitment that we that we made to them. And so that's kind of our, our current structure that we do. Um, it's not the model that fits every church. I understand that. But find the model that best fits your church. Have those tough conversations with those families and just say, and it might hurt at first, but they're just being honest. Are is what we're offering working for your family Um, and they will tell you and don't go to the families that are going to be there Uh, go to the family that doesn't come go to that family that you see maybe on a Sunday but they don't come to anything else ask that family Um, and they're going to be going to be really open to that Uh, we go up to fifth grade so K to two is a group that we would have in this organ this structure and then the third through fifth graders that's how kind of how we break it up No, we found that for us, because of the kids couldn't be consistent, okay. they were never getting badges. And because they weren't ever getting a badge, they didn't want to come. And because of the girls couldn't get a badge, and that was just us. That was our, our what we ended up seeing, and that's, again, that might be yours, but that was ours. And the, our, I'm not, I don't want to throw all those leaders under the bus, but they had a hard time with being okay with them not learning. Well, why aren't you here? Why can't you come? And the kid's like, but I can't make it. I know you had your hand up, so. That's changed. Yes, it definitely has changed. And so we still keep... It's based on how many times they show up, not if you're there every week. Yeah. So, but this was before, yeah, this was way before all that happened. But what we did was, so like the Ranger program, I took out these main big things. And I'm like, okay, this is awesome. This is awesome. This is great. This is great. How can I take these big concepts out of here and I can still offer them to, the, to all these groups of kids as they come through in their three-week quarter? So we kind of took the, the old Ranger curriculum, not the new one where they've expanded. We took the old one and turned that into our outdoor curriculum. And that's now that every kid gets a chance to go through that, whether they, they're not earning a badge. They're just kind of learning how to do all the rope tying and, and kind of the more traditional Ranger stuff. That met our needs, yeah. In our church, our ranger program, parents coming here, is great. I mm-hmm. mean, our, we've got families coming in that don't come on Sunday morning because they come on Wednesdays. Right. You know? And so I think that, you know, I just wanted to kind of help support what you're saying, too, is that it's based on what your guys' needs 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I want to be, don't, please don't just say, oh, it worked for him, it's going to work. No, don't do that. Never, please never do that. You know, what works for me, you guys might go into your place and your leader be like, okay, that person needs to be gone because that's not, not working for them. The other thing that we ended up doing was we pushed our kids and our leaders to include everyone. And uh, when you have a group of kids who are all different races, you'll begin to run into a problem that all the African kids want to sit with the African kids, all the Hispanic kids want to sit together, all the white kids want to sit together, all the African-American kids want to sit together. We had that. And so you have to make them get out of those comfort zones. Um, And it's easy. I need everyone in the room to stand up when your birthday is in October. All the October stand up, and I want you to go stand right over here. All the Novembers go over here. And it just instantly gets them in. Now go sit with each other. Now when you're in your group, find out what their favorite flavor of ice cream is. And they just realize, huh, I'm not that much different than you are. I might look different, but I'm not that much different. The other thing that we do is I celebrate the fact that the kids are different. Everyone look around. Isn't it great that we have kids in this room that don't look like me? That's great because if you guys all look like me, that would be weird. I don't want nearly needs to look like this, you know. And so it was just a really fun piece for our kids is, oh, yeah, I got brown eyes. She's got brown eyes. My hair's short. Her hair's short. You know, my hair's curly. Their hair's curly. And then you have to begin to set boundaries because what we found is like our, our little African-American girls wanted to go and touch the white girl's hair. Like, oh, yeah. And all of our little white girls wanted to touch the African-American. I'm like, keep your hands to yourself, okay? People, they're not pets. Please don't pet them. Um, <laughs> But, but uh, that's what we ended up doing. All the birthdays come here. All this group do this. If you're like this, come here. If you like this, go here. Now sit with each other today. Find out one thing that you don't know about that person, and I guarantee you're going to like it. And then we actually challenged our families. When you have a birthday party, and I tell our families this all the time, when you have a birthday party, don't invite all the white kids to your birthday party because your kid's white, because their friends aren't white in church. Invite the church friends that they know. Here's who they know. And I'll give them a list. Here's who they know. Invite them. They need to be at that kid's birthday party. What we ended up finding out too was as we grew internationally, birthday parties aren't the same. (laughs) And that hurt my daughter's feelings. And so we have a large Ethiopian group of, of kids and families. I bet there are 150 Ethiopians not counting the 80 kids that are there in the church. So it's a lot of, of, of Ethiopian families and they don't celebrate birthdays like we do doesn't so my daughter would go and invite go invite Abigail I want Abigail to come to my birthday party could Abigail come to my daughter's birthday party and they would just look at you like what what are you, ta- what are you talking about oh it's a birthday party you don't even have to bring a gift and then they wouldn't show up and then my daughter would just be crushed oh she didn't get to come to my birthday party you know she's crying I'm like well it's okay I'll go I'll go as, as I won't go as Pastor Derek I'll go as dad and I'll go talk to them as dad and so we eventually found out well their, their culture wasn't set up to do that but we just had to have teaching moments so even then cross-culturally I was going to them as from the white culture into an international setting and saying this means a lot and in the American culture to have a birthday party and come and celebrate someone would you please next time it would mean the world to me. It would mean a lot to my daughter because your daughter and my daughter are friends. Would you please come that next time? They were on it. They were like, I'll be there. I didn't, we, they are like, we didn't know it meant that much. And so doing things like that, um, we, we, we just celebrated it. We, we asked kids, sit with others. Um, we celebrate diversity. Um, even now, I still tell the kids from time to time to get up around the room, find someone that looks different than they are, and sit with them. Um, even I have to do it now, 15 years into this. I'm still telling kids. Because it's easy for us to get in a group of people that we like and we just go and sit with them. No, not here or not. You know, one of our slogans we've kind of come up with is get, un- get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Um, and realizing that there's only going to be 20, 30% of what you're going to see here today that you are going to like. The rest of it, the other third is going to like. The rest of it, the other third is going to like. But it's not about what you like. It's all about being a part of the body of Christ. And that is your identity now when you walk into this room. And when you go out of here, your identity is in Christ, not with what skin color that you represent yourself with. You are part of the body. And that's kind of how we begin to train our kids and, and uh, do types of those things. Which then brings us back to like my neighborhood um, of learning culture. I This last year, we made a big move in our family to move out of a mostly white suburb into the city. And I, I moved into the city. And people's like, you are crazy, Derek. What are you doing? I'm like, well, if I'm saying I'm doing this at church, I'm going to do this in my own life. 
And so I moved in. Uh, I remember meeting my neighbors for the first time. And he came out and he's like, do you realize you live in, in the city? And I'm like, yeah, what do you mean by that? He would not say it. I'm like, what do you mean by I'm living in the city? He's like, fine, all your neighbors are black. I'm like, that's why I'm living here. You know, I was like, that's why I'm living here. Um, and then we just began to have some talk. And we just began to share with him. And you learn, I was like, I want to put my kids in a, in a place where this is normal for them. This is normal for them in church, so this should be normal for them in their school. This should be normal for them in it. And for the most of the kids that you work with, it is normal for them when they go to school. It is normal for them when they go to sports teams. But when they go to church, they're looking around like, wait, why isn't, where's everybody that looks like all my friends at school? And so I wanted it to be different for my children. They come out like, wait, everything that I'm involved in, my neighborhood doesn't look like my church. Let's get the neighborhood to look like the church. And um, we learn stories. When you begin to learn a story from someone, especially from a minority person or from just a white and white and black relationship, when you begin to learn that person's story, your your thought process changes. For example, one of my best friends, and uh, he was a teen, now he's a, a young adult. That I mean, I am pushing that kid through college with everything I got. He's graduating this year with a teaching degree from Southeastern, and I'm going to surprise him for his graduation. He's a 25 year old young young black man, had no dad. Uh, grew up in our church. He works with me in kids' ministry when he's home. And so when you learn his story, for example, I could go to the grocery store with him and I could just grab my candy bar and walk out. He grabs his candy bar and walks out. The security's right there saying, did you buy that? And I'm like, he was with me. He's like, Derek, I can't drive down this neighborhood without getting pulled over. Why do you get pulled over? I pulled over for driving while I'm black. Like, that's a real thing? He's like, yeah, it's real. Watch. Come ride with me. So we purposely did. And sure enough, cops right behind us. I'm like, you did nothing wrong. And so when you learn those stories from people, when you, when you learn the stories of, say, the immigrant family coming into your church for the first time, and you find out from them that their child is struggling in school, it's not because that child can't learn. It's because the family's having a hard time continuing the education process at home. It's going to change the way that you do ministry in your own church. You're going to want to then put in the tutoring programs. You're going to want to put in the English programs at your church to help that family so that child can, can succeed. Um, try going to another country and putting your kids in their schools without you knowing the language. That's how you need to look at your, your ministries, your, your kids' ministries. Uh, try putting some of your kids in a situation where they're the only one that looks like them and then wondering how, how they would feel. Um, find an African-American friend or a Caucasian friend. Go deep with each other. Not just surface level, but have a heart-to-heart conversation and learn their culture. When we moved out of our nice little cozy Cape Cod, we moved into the, a, a city, and my neighbor came out, and my girls instantly befriended his little girls. And he came over to me and was like, well, why are your girls playing with my girls? Because they're kids? You know, I didn't know, I didn't know how to answer that. He's like, okay, fine. I, I kind of just say things just so he actually has to say it. Um, he's like, why are your white girls playing with my little black girls and giving them hugs? They've never, no one's ever done that. Well, let me tell you why. So I just begin to share our church, and I begin to share the vision that we've gone down. I begin to share, you know, here's what I've learned, here's what I've seen, here's what I have, this is why. And it began to open up more conversations than what I've ever wanted to get into. He's like, well, can you help me with something? My sewer backs up into our basement, and the city won't do anything about it. Can you call? I'm like, why won't they come up for you? Oh, oh, okay. You know, ding, light bulb turns on. Let me call. I make a phone call. They're out in two hours. And you're just like, what? Oh, it's because I began to learn. Their, I began to get involved with their life. And when you begin to get involved in their life, it goes more just being, oh, hi, I'm so glad you're at our church. When you start learning life levels, your ministry, your way you do ministry for kids, the way you do ministry for everybody, it totally, totally changes um, my neighbor across the street found out I was a pastor. And she's like, you're like one of the only first white people that's ever wanted to talk to me. I'm like, okay. Three days later, I got saved! I'm like, you did what? You know? She's like, I didn't even want to go and smoke pot later today. I'm like, great for you! You know, like, this is awesome! You know? You know? And she's like, I'm going to church now. I'm going to get baptized next Sunday. I'm like, oh my goodness. Wow, I'm glad. You know, she's like, this, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I would have never done it, but I met you. And it all became just understanding 
culture. Um, Cincinnati, Ohio. Yep, Cincinnati. So the journey we're on as a church has been amazing. New people come to our church, and, and when they see it, they, they can't believe what they're experiencing. But not too long ago, the Wall Street Journal sent a film crew in to video this. Like, how is this possible? NPR, this within the last year, did a story, one of their Sunday morning stories or Saturday morning stories. Uh, they did a story just on the same type of thing. But we know that God brought us to this time for today. Uh, we know that God has brought the church through the, what He's done just for today. Um, and so I didn't want to get too deep into how many things need to change, but really focus on your leadership. Um, focus on that one child that doesn't look like you. And if you see them in your building, say, how can I effectively reach that kid? Learn who they are. Um, learn that child. Learn their family. Learn everything about them that you can and change the way that you minister to them. Make sure all your media, all your, your print, all your visual reflects who you want to become as a kid's church at first. Um, so that way when that family does come in, they see, oh, there's somebody on that stage uh, that looks like me. And then when you begin to do church in unity, you'll see what Jesus can do through that. So. Yes. So basically, what I would do for someone like you, I'd say, "What's your hobby?" Yeah. And you'd be like, "I'm a mechanic." Great. You want to teach a kid how to fix a car? Sure. And we'll have the kids fix it because I, I wanted to. I wanted to begin to teach kids again, as we saw the fatherless fatherless come in on both sides, black and white. Um, we wanted to begin to teach kids that this is what a godly man looks like. And you can grow up to be like this whether you don't have a father in there or not because the reality was I was becoming that father figure to all these kids and I can't do this all by myself. I needed other men to step up in the church and it was our way to get both black, white, Hispanic, internationals, everybody together to say, you are the people that I need. You are the people that I need. I need you. I need you. I need you. I need you. we got to come together as a team um, to do everything that you guys are good at. And then one other practical step that we made in our, in our ministry was we don't call people mom and dad. Um, we call them grown-ups. So because grown-ups is a better term because in our church, grandma's bringing that kid to church. So I can't say, oh, when you see your mom today, well, they might not ever see their mom. You know, mom could be in jail. And, and that's what we ended up finding out was mom might not be in the home. And I was saying mom, I was saying dad. But then I would say, if you live with your mom, your dad, your dad, your auntie, your uncle, your grandma, your grandpa, I'm like, that's just too many things to say. And one day on my way to school, I was, my daughters were listening to Kids Place Live. It's a satellite radio station. We had free XM radio. And the lady got up there and said, hey, grown-ups. I'm like, she's talking to me. And I was like, wow, look at that. So we just started calling everybody grown-ups. And uh, in, in private, if, if I know your so-and-so's mom, I'd say, hey, mom. You know, but in a large group setting, we, we make sure we call all them grown-ups and all my leaders all the way down to nursery. Oh, your grown-up's going to be here in just a little bit. But yeah. Well, thanks, guys. If you have any other questions, please let me know. And I'll hopefully be able to answer them. If you want to talk in private, let me know too, and we'll go from there. Thanks.